Welcome back to How I Deal, where we examine a single pass-close deal, how it played out that way, and provide some hopefully helpful sales tips that you can use in your deals today. My name is Taylor Dollum, full cycle account executive, now content guy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Junior Latte, the whale sale chaser here at Pickle. June, what's up, man? Yo, it's episode 47. We always do these little nicknames, but in reality, everybody wants to go whale hunting. Like to hit quota this year, it does seem like it's going to be extremely important to tuck away one of those whales in your pipeline. Let's chase some whales this year. Let's get after it. A quick explainer for those maybe tuning in for the first time or maybe took a couple episodes off. Welcome back. Each conversation, we chat through a past deal, leaving out all names and places with the goal of diving a lot deeper than any other podcast in the sales world you've listened to. From that first time you either saw this prospect in your CRM or on LinkedIn or wherever you you prospect, all the way to getting that final signature and kicking off implementation. Today, we've got Morgan Buchanan. She started as an inbound SDR and is now a mid-market AES specket, all of which she did in the last year and a half, which is really impressive. Before sales, she did a long stint with the Colorado Ballet, where athletes meet art. Morgan, we hear a lot of sports analogy in sales. Maybe you'll have some ballet analogies for us today. Either way, give us an interesting fact. And of course, tell us the problem that Speckett solves. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I can pepper some of those ballet analogies in because there's actually a lot of them. But an interesting fact about me is that I don't typically come across as someone who is passionate about rescuing pit bulls, but I am. My pit bull is sitting next to me right now. I've done a lot of work both in Texas and Colorado to drive awareness and um work with actual dogs that are being rescued. So I, I volunteer for a nonprofit, which kind of ties into what we're going to talk about today, but I volunteer for a nonprofit here in Dallas called the love pit where I kennel tech. So I work with the dogs. I help train them. I clean up poop and pee and walk them and things like that. So I actually, on my lunch break today, I went over and picked up a load of laundry to do for them. So very passionate about rescuing pit bulls. Of course, Speckett has nothing to do with the pit bull rescue world. <laughs> so Basically, as reps for both of you and probably a lot of the folks listening, we've all sat through a training, paid attention, took notes, gave it our all, and then sat down at our computer, logged into Salesforce, what have you. And you don't remember the training and you know that you're going to be expected to execute on it. Guess what? You don't have time to dig through the LMS, go through a whole course, try and find that piece of info that you're looking for. Maybe it's in a Google Drive or something like that. And so what Speckit does is we surface that knowledge for you in your flow of work inside of any cloud-based app. I love that. I think most pods or most people we talk to, it's like this one-liner, super punchy, which is great. But that story is incredible and it truly speaks to the problem you're solving or at least the opportunities you're providing for organizations, which, as you alluded to, is uh, is what we're going to talk about today, the nonprofit world. We are fascinated. What deal are you walking us through and maybe give us a couple details? Yeah. So I am going to talk about a deal that I had with an Australian cancer charity. There were about a hundred employees and my stakeholders were interesting. They were a data analyst, some Salesforce admins, and then folks on the operation and fundraising team. And the reason why I chose this is because I 
felt. This is what we're doing at Speckit. And I think it's common is people are having to go outside of B2B SaaS right now to find opportunities because B2B SaaS has just been gutted by the economy. And so I felt like it would be relevant going after a nonprofit. I think a lot of people are going through that right now and trying to navigate new waters outside of what they're comfortable with. So a data analyst, a Salesforce admin, and then like a fundraising ops, this is like the beginning of a good joke. Are these titles or personas people you typically sell to before I jump into the actual deal? So we, Speckit wasn't totally foreign to nonprofits. And I think for me, I actually worked as an in nonprofit development at a charity in Denver before I went into sales for a little bit for about nine months. And so I felt comfortable and I do feel comfortable working with nonprofits because I can speak to what they experience. Of course, I think that's important in any deal is to try and find that common ground with people. But yes, in general with nonprofits, those are the folks that you're going to be dealing with because they're so intimately acquainted with the data that is so key to their organization. Yeah, this is going to be really cool. So if you sell nonprofit, really pay attention, a lot to learn. If you don't sell nonprofit, figure out how this is applicable, take all of those nuggets and apply them to your own sale. Because at the end of the day, we're still selling to people. So how did you find out about this company? And of course, the research that you conducted? Yeah, so it actually came inbound. And it was interesting because they came to us looking for a specific feature, which a lot of times people will come inbound and they're just like, I want to learn more about your platform. But with this, it was like, I am looking for a data dictionary to help me with my Salesforce instance. And the way that I found out about that is I have a generic email that I send out after someone books an inbound meeting with me. And I always ask what piqued your interest in Speckit. And so because we're a Salesforce ISV, they found us on the App Exchange looking specifically for this data dictionary. But what was interesting too, and kind of another reason why I picked this specific deal is because we had sold to a similar organization very recently. And so Australian cancer charity is a very niche business segment. We started joking, oh, is this our vertical now? Me and the other rep who had sold the other deal. But I really leaned heavily on them, learning more about what they went through in the sales cycle, what their prospects really cared about, who was involved. And then also we are an early stage startup. So we hadn't done the bulk of our business does not come from overseas. We work mostly with companies based in North America. And so What did you run into as far as even creating the order form in Australian dollars and things like that? It was something that I had never done before. So with any inbound and me being on more of the marketing side at this point and building those functions, like curious, what was, and maybe you hit on some of this, but let's dive a little deeper. What did pique their interest? Like other than specific, maybe features I saw on the site, like when a, when an inbound comes in, for instance, what's your first mind mindset? What are you going to look for? Where do you research? How do you prepare to head into the next step? Yeah. So before I send that generic follow-up email, which hopefully I don't make it totally generic, hopefully there's some personalization, (laughs) but I like to research where they're coming from, what their company is. I generally approach inbounds with a healthy dose of skepticism because you just never know. It might be someone who's just shopping around or something like that. But when they're very responsive and they can say specifically, hey, I'm looking to solve X, Y, and Z. That's a very good sign. And so it was that 
One thing that we didn't have that I look for in inbounds in general is I was actually referred to you by someone who uses your platform, or you look on their LinkedIn and you see that they used you at a previous company. Those are all things that I would always see as uh, a good sign from an inbound lead. So today I got an inbound lead that I got really excited about. It was another Australian person actually, but it was at brickworks.com and brickworks.com is this like website where it's basically, oh, you got punked or something like that. And the email bounced. And of course, every salesperson has had that experience, but those are the things that I look for from a quality inbound lead. You got to love the, you got punked yeah. uh, MTV show throwback. I didn't know it was like still around in the B2B world, but totally. I guess yeah. it's out there. A healthy dose of skepticism. That's what you said, right? Mm-hmm. Taylor, I think we should like mint that into, I don't know, something post-show because I really like that. It's easy to see an inbound and just be like, I'm going to close this thing. I'm super excited. You should go into it a little skeptic about like, why are we a good fit? Let's really nail down and figure this thing out as compared to, hey, they're already knocking at the door. This should be an easy sell. So you get a meeting booked, you're going into discovery. Who did you know? Who did you initially meet with and what did you learn there? Yeah. So the initial, really my main below the line champion, if you will, worked was in charge of the data team. And she, from the start of our meeting, I could tell that she was truly feeling this pain. And this is another thing that I love about working with folks in nonprofits is if you're working for a nonprofit, you're working hard hours, you're wearing multiple hats and you're not making very much money. And so you feel very passionate about the cause. And there's this whole added layer of, I really care about this. My organization is not operating as efficiently as it needs to in order to be successful and we need help. And because of that, and I think because of my past working for a nonprofit, I was able to get to the business problem very quickly on the first call. And the business problem was that they needed better data, better Salesforce adoption in order to support their fundraising initiative starting in January of 2023 that was going to support the organization for the next 10 years. So they really needed to create this data set that was going to be very key and they were not seeing the adoption from their end users that they needed to make that happen. It's so cool that the nonprofit side the way that you phrased it, because you're like, you're not getting paid very well. You're spending long hours. I'm like, I'm not seeing any upside. And then you hit us with the, it means you're like extremely passionate about what you're doing. I could totally see someone who is like so passionate about this, looking back at what's actually going on and saying, if we can't get this piece of technology working and we go to do this big fundraising event, like we're not going to raise enough money. We're not going to have the process in place to support this. We're going to miss by a lot. And then the cause that I love and passionate about and want to work for is going to shut down. And like the goals that they want to achieve won't happen. So I do feel like there's just a huge passion connection that you're able to really connect with on this one. Were there any other interesting aspects because you're talking so much about both of your backgrounds? Did anything like surface outside of, yeah, like the organization and more so like on the personal, like, why are you passionate about this? And I'm passionate about charity as well. Any of those kind of conversations you feel like played a role here? That's a really good question. And they actually didn't. And I think that the reason why I never really asked was 
because I'm guessing if you're working for a cancer charity, your life has been touched by that at some point. And I think that I was maybe a little bit scared to pick that scab, but that would have been a great question to ask. And I think that's, I'm actually, I have, (laughs) I'm meeting with two nonprofits tomorrow. I'm like, I should ask that, that, that is a good question to ask. So I think when people are super passionate about it, it is important to say, Hey, this seems like, why are you so passionate about this? Why devote your life to this cause? You could be a Salesforce admin, literally anywhere. Why here? Why now? When you say I've worked in a nonprofit and in my past, and that that is some experience that I can draw on. And, and like you said, the past experiences, any seller should look at what is your journey to get to this job? How did you get to this role? And how can you tap into that? Because if people are buying from people, the only way you can really relate is what have I experienced? What do I understand? And how can I frame it in this way? I am curious, kind of uh, as it came inbound versus outbound, you know, you're having these discoveries, this discovery conversation. Like, would you say if this didn't come inbound, if this was outbound and you're trying to relate in a cold email, would it would that conversation get there? Would you do you think you could connect in that way? I'm just always fascinated with because of the ma- the matter and the way that it came in. Do you think that took a huge step forward or made that con that connection even stronger? I think thinking about some of the outbound emails that I've sent to nonprofits, what I focus on is you need the time back in your day to focus on what truly matters, which is whatever your cause is. And that's why we're here speaking today, because something is not working that is preventing you from being successful in your role. And it's preventing the organization from being successful in its mission, or there's a fear that something is going to happen, that the organization will not be successful, or there's a fear that they will not get funding because there's no data to prove that they're being successful. Does that answer your question? I'm off on a tangent there. Yeah. It's not really a question. It's more of a general concept, but it's the idea of because they came to you, they're probably a little more willing to open up rather than you outbounding about, hey, I saw you did this. I've also experienced it. I'd be fascinated to see on a high level, like what the difference is, what the close rate looks like if you take those approaches. Totally, yeah. Yeah, that's a direction I was taking, (laughs) not a specific question. (laughs) Well, I think it was interesting that I was able to connect with them so early on that they felt comfortable discussing their true business problem with me on the first call, like first 20 minutes. And I think that when you're outbounding, it's a little bit cagey, like, why are you insinuating that I'm not good at my job? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's probably, especially in this space, right? Because if I email a CEO, like they know they're going to get prospected. This is like part, it's almost part of the job, but maybe a nonprofit is like a little taken back. Like, why don't you think I'm doing things right? Exactly. Uh, In this case, okay. You've identified like this massive problem. They have a huge fundraise come up. The way that Salesforce is not working today, they will not be successful. And then it's going to impact five years down the road. So you take that information, you're going into the demo. How did you personalize this demo experience? Yeah. So on the first call, I actually showed the feature that they came in looking for. And I said, look, here's our data dictionary. It's a data dictionary. A data dictionary is a data dictionary. That's not really where Speckett shines. Let me show you how some other folks leverage our platform to help achieve the outcomes that you're looking to achieve. And then it was like, wow, this is really cool. I do want to see a full demo. I do want to loop in some other folks from my team. And so again, at the beginning of the second call, which was the first demo, I think that I was able to lean on that nonprofit experience while being, I had to be very conscious of the fact that the champion had been very vulnerable with me. 
And I didn't want to put them in an awkward situation when I didn't really fully understand their team dynamics. And really taking the information that you get on a discovery call and making it PC so that you can present it to additional stakeholders is, I think, a skill in and of itself. I learned that the hard way in my first month or so as a rep where I totally called like 10 people, 10 people's babies ugly and lost the trust of the prospect. And it was a shit deal. Sorry, can I curse? Sorry. It was, a bad, it was a bad deal anyways, but it was horrific. Like I never want to experience that again. So taking that conversation with tact and care and empathy was something that I think helped me keep the trust of the prospect while also getting to know the other stakeholders who were the ones like actually elbow deep in the tool. And so from there, we did the first demo, which was just your average demo, not really a lot of personalization. And then what they really needed to see was actually something that was outside of our normal sales process. And so what they needed to see to move the deal forward was what Speckett looked like in their actual Salesforce instance. And so that's when I looped in my sales engineer. And we basically the way that process works for us is we get access, we sign NDAs, we get access to the prospects sandbox Salesforce instance. We also got access to some of their training that they were actually using for their employees that at that time. And so I worked with my sales engineer to build that out into a specket demo in nonprofit success pack, which is what they're using. So I demoed it in sales cloud with the caveat that like, Hey, this is geared towards a sales team, but just so you know, it's the same idea in nonprofit success pack. So we built that out for them. And that's when it was just like, we got to have, this is amazing. It was like, oohs and ahs. And the whole team, I adore all of them. We actually, we've stayed in touch. We like shared Christmas recipes, Australia to compared to the United States and things like that. And I just, I adore them. And that was really when like the oohs and the ahs literally came out. And that's when we started having the conversation of like, how do we move this thing forward? This is key in the sense, like you said, you're going into a non-traditional vertical, right? Or channel, so to speak. And probably a hundred percent of it needs to be focused on education because they're not super familiar with your offering. It's not like you can say, oh, we do this. Oh, are you like this? There's none of that. So the education piece is there. But like you said, the awe moment, the oohs and ahs really came from when you showed in on our platform, here's how your life would look. This is actually how it works, which is funny because, you know, obviously spec it being a how to make training a little more sticky. This is literally what you're doing is showing them how this works and where it's going to affect their lives in different ways and how they can use it every day. I think that's super powerful. And like you said, that's that was the turning point of the deal. It, it, probably, right? They were warmed up to it. But at that moment, like you said, it's almost a done deal. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think with everything that's going on in the economy right now and with people exploring new verticals and getting away from B2B SaaS a little bit, just because it's been so gutted by the economy, I think that hyper-personalized demo is going to be key to getting on the same playing field as your prospects if you're unfamiliar with their um, industry. But I also think that if you are still selling to industries where people are familiar with whatever platform that you're selling, they know how to buy software, the hyper-personalized experience is how you have to stand out. Yeah, hyper personalized. And in the beginning, when you were first talking about like the demo experience, you said handle it with tact, which I like a lot. I made a huge mistake early on as well. And I had one sales leader who pulled me aside at one point and he's like, hey, they've already acknowledged 
this pain and that we can solve it for them. So let's move on to solving it. And he is like, what is happening right now is you're calling them dumb, <laughs> right? Because he is like, there's types, there's different types of pain. Some is self-inflicted. And I was like really honing in on this like self-inflicted pain. And I lost that deal by the way, but that was because a competitor won. It's not like they chose nothing. They saw the pain, but I was just like, you're the problem. You're the problem as yeah. compared to solving what was actually going on. So the tact is huge. Like you could personalize it and come off not so great. So the way that you did that was perfect, letting them experience it. Through this deal, we've talked just briefly about how some of these barriers, right? Like a time difference there in Australia. I'm sure that was a barrier. Talk about some of the barriers you faced. Yeah. So, I mean, from so we had the personal, we called it a workshop. We had that. And then from there, because they don't buy software all the time in this industry, it was a question of, okay, well, how do we go and sell this internally? How do we make our above the line champion buyer, what have you, how do we get them excited about this so that they can then sell it to their boss? And so what I ended up doing, and this is really when I, besides my sales engineer, I started reaching out to other people on the team. And so I actually looped in our CEO who feels very passionately about having nonprofits use Speckit. And uh, I was able to go to my champions and say, hey, our CEO has offered to meet with you and your leadership team to just give a little bit of an overview about Speckit, have a conversation. Would that be helpful to, I didn't say move this thing along, but would it be helpful to move this thing along? And they were so excited about that. And so that call, it was about 30 minutes and we sat with the CEO. She talked about her vision and how much she loved helping nonprofits. And then she did a little bit of an overview demo for the new people in the room that hadn't really seen Speckit. And that was like, that was the second game changer beyond that personalized demo because they were like, this is amazing. This CEO from the States is spending some time with a relatively small account to learn more about us and our cause and why we need this. And she's taken this time out of her day. That was really cool to have that conversation. So that helped really get the ball rolling. From there, there were some interesting roadblocks that I wasn't totally expecting. And so I had done InfoSec reviews with other B2B SaaS companies. I had not done it with a nonprofit, much less a nonprofit in Australia. <clears throat> and so that was really what slowed the deal down, even after we got approvals from everyone else. What was interesting about that was that there had been a security breach in Australia, like right when I started talking to these prospects and basically the Australian equivalent of Verizon had been hacked. And so it was very top of mind for their director of IT that their security needed to be totally dialed in. And so it was already a very, the most detailed review process that I've ever been through but because the director of IT was not feeling the pains that my champions were feeling in the day-to-day, -day, they moved a little bit slower than we would have liked. And I think part of that too is if you're selling to companies outside of North America or companies outside of the country you're most familiar selling to, it's important to take into account like what is the culture of that company? What do they expect? What should you expect as a seller? Should you expect them to have a little bit of a more relaxed buying process? Maybe things will take a little bit longer. And so that was something that I was not expecting. And it actually ended up pushing out the deal almost, I think, two months past the close date. 
fascinating. I, and I, security wise, it seems like every country is different, like you said, right? What is a GDPR is, is the Euro side of it. US is totally different. Australia, I'm sure is extremely different. And like you said, you're dealing with health data, you're dealing with these things that not only are you educating them on breaking their entire familiarity with their current workflow, but you're also like, and we're going to take all this sensitive data and do something with it, right? So that's terrifying, I imagine. This probably, this would be a separate question, but I think it rolls in nicely in the sense of specifically with nonprofits, you're dealing with donation dollars, right? You're not dealing with reoccurring revenue like like a SaaS company would or a software company. You're dealing with the idea of these people have built a excellent relationship over many years to where they can expect donations, but that can turn off at any point, right? The board of directors could vote to dissolve the thing and it all goes uh, you know, to zero. And so I, I'm curious with all that new stuff you're bringing and the security side of things that, that causes friction and hesitation, was there more of a I would say, is it more palpable in terms of their sense of kind of tightness when it's like, these are donations, not just like revenue we can count on? Totally. And that's a huge part of it too. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up coming to a pricing agreement that they had a certain spend that they could do without board approval. And so we worked with them to create this pricing agreement to get them like a dollar under (laughs) that limit. But yeah, nonprofits, they don't have that recurring revenue. They do have their donor base that they can typically count on, but that's something that's challenging. And so I think figuring out like how your platform plays into that is important. So for Specit, it's driving adoption of your Salesforce instance so that people actually input the data that is going to be necessary to getting funding from the government. And that's your recurring revenue. I have another question along the lines of, we talked about donation dollars versus recurring revenue dollars. What about you're typically you're selling to US based person right now you're selling like overseas and are you meeting early mornings, late nights? Are they, what kind of buyer were you working with? Like, I don't know. What was it like selling to someone in Australia? Yeah. So Australians are just happy. (laughs) It's like, you guys are so nice. You're so emphatic. And so I really liked selling into Australia. I think that Other folks that I've spoken with who have closed deals in Australia have been able to speak to, you do have to push that deal along. Things can get delayed because they're, maybe they're at the beach. Maybe they're taking some time off, but they're just enjoying life as they should. But that is a cultural difference where they might move a little bit slowly and we in the US might move a little bit quickly. And so finding that balance without coming across as like the annoying salesperson just trying to move the deal forward is important. Uh, I was meeting late at night, but that actually played into the fun atmosphere, I think, that we had in our calls where I was a little bit like how I am today. It's 6 p.m. Central. I'm like, okay, it's Wednesday. We're through the hump. Let's go. So I think that kind of contributed to maybe a little bit of a lighter atmosphere. Lighter atmosphere, like a better selling process altogether. I feel like when I get caught in a good mood, like the 6 PMs, I'm a little bit more loose and conversation flows a little bit easier. I'm not thinking about people in the office. So all that stuff is really good. This is such a fascinating deal that you're able to get across the line, like a new sector that Spectre's or Specket is 
selling into. It's like, you found this niche. Now you got to go after it. There's got to be more, you know, yeah. there's got to be more. Yeah. What did you learn? What are three tips you learned from this deal and your larger sales career? Yeah. So I think from, for this deal, and it ties in nicely to what we were talking about at the end of our conversation is to educate yourself on not only your prospects and your prospects industry, but what else could be going on in their world that might impact the deal. So for me, it was that data breach in Australia. I didn't know that it happened. I didn't realize that would be so top of mind for their IT team, but it ended up being very key to being able to speak to that and reassure the prospect that it was going to be okay. I think too, I leaned very heavily on my nonprofit experience for this deal, but I think that everyone has experience in their life that they can use to pivot into new industries. So maybe you learned something working in B2B SaaS your whole life that you can then take to selling into financial services or manufacturing or something like that. So I think being self-aware enough to be able to reflect on your own life and the experiences that you've had and being able to use that to empathize with your prospects is really important. And then the third thing is to not reinvent the wheel. So at the beginning of this deal, I leaned very heavily on the rep that had sold the similar deal in my segment. So I wasn't starting from scratch. I learned from their experience. So I was able to leverage those internal resources to really help me rather than just going at it on my own. Morgan, this has been a great deal to talk about. One thing that you mentioned earlier was something that really helped this deal was getting the Speckit CEO involved. And that's something personally going to implement. Like, I think it would be good for our CEO to be on sales calls, but also like, it's a great just added step to the sales process to give that uh, finishing touch and get everybody like over the line, really bought in. Let's move this thing forward. Thumbs up all around. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. And just like that, another episode of How I Deal is in the books. Thanks, Morgan, for joining us, walking us through this incredible deal. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening. We will see you next time.